few weeks ago, I said, I need you. And the response to that was interesting. Uh, suddenly, we had phone calls. Hey, are you guys all right? <laughs> and there was a response in me that felt like I needed to protect my ego and protect my pride. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're fine. Thanks for asking. That's very thoughtful. I was frustrated. I don't know why my nose is doing that. I'll stop breathing. So my, res my response to that was, yeah, yeah, we're all right. We're fine. What, what is it about us that any sense of not being self-sufficient we have to protect? We are a very uh, self-sufficient society. We're going we're gonna to get through this on our own and not let anybody know that anything is wrong before it's too late and we're at our wit's end. And so by the mere admission of saying, I need you, the point of the message was is that we all need each other, that we're the body of Christ, we're filled with Christ's spirit, and we function together by realizing that we aren't self-sufficient, that we need each other to accomplish God's mission and purposes. And I encourage each and every one of you to share with each other that you also need one another. And I hope that it's been sort of therapeutic for you in a sense, but also spiritually a guide to you as you grow in your walk with God. So taking the I need you and then sort of flipping it around and saying of God... God, I, I need you. If we really, truly mean those words, God, I need you, what sort of happens to this notion that we are self-sufficient? I hope that it begins to break down and fall apart and we realize that left to our own, there is nothing that we can do to be self-sufficient but that we need Christ and we need his love and what my hope for the series would be is that we would understand quite a bit more just how much we need the spirit of Christ at work in our lives individually at work in our lives as a congregation at work in our lives as we go about our work as we go about our lives together, that we would understand the importance of Christ and His Spirit in every facet of our lives. That we would understand that God does not leave us on our own, but God sends us help, a helper, an advocate, a comforter, a healer, there's a word that John uses in John chapter 14 that as I studied it this week, I realized no one really understands it. The word is paraclete. I know, it, 
it sounds like something you would use for athletics, but it's, you know, a pair of cleats. But uh, that's a bad preacher joke. I mean, I'm just going to get that out there. I mean, that's terrible. But there is this advocate. In the Greek world, it was used as a counselor in a litigation, that there was someone like a sort of helper, a lawyer, one who would advocate on your behalf. That was how it was used in Greek culture, but in the sense of what it is used in the New Testament, it's all over the map. But what understanding we can get is is there is one who has come to help the people of God. And its purpose is clear. Its purpose is that the Spirit of God would come and it would bring conviction. That it would stir in our hearts an earnest desire and seeking of God that we would reflect His glory and praise in our lives. That this Spirit would help us draw nearer to Jesus that we would look more like Jesus our Savior. That this Spirit would lead us and help us to arrive at conclusions about our lives and our utter uh, failure at self-sufficiency to know that God's Spirit is among us and with us to shape us and draw us closer to Jesus and bring Him glory, honor, and praise. What is the Spirit? What does the Spirit do? Well, as I was looking at John 14, I realized I need to look at John 13. And then as I looked at John 13, I realized, well, we also need to look at John chapter 15 and John chapter 16. And before I knew it, I had about 15 pages of things that I needed to articulate to you to help you understand a little bit more about what the Spirit is. And so I hope you had a bathroom break, uh, because we could be here for a while. And I have wrestled all week with what is it that I can offer our congregation and it was all about me what can I offer what can I offer and I realized as I am preparing a message about the spirit of Christ I'm putting it all upon my shoulders I throw a caution flag at my ministry every once in a while and I say Jordan are you relying on on your charisma and good looks or on the spirit of Christ to work And that was a cheap joke, but there is some truth to it, of the hidden ego that I keep at bay that says that I can be good enough to help this congregation. Jesus offers the most comforting words of Scripture at the beginning of John chapter 14. And he says, Trust in God, trust also in me. He tells his disciples to not be afraid. And you wonder, why are they afraid? So you have to go back to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. After he washes their feet, Judas is going to go and betray Jesus. And then after Judas has left, Jesus tells them, I'm going to give you a new command. And the new command I give you is that you are to love one another. As I have loved you. And what Jesus is going to do from here on out is he is going to show the disciples, he is going to show those who are walking with him just what it means, just what it means to love like he loves. 
and a sort of living parable was Jesus bending over and washing his disciples' feet, washing their feet and caring for the disciples and loving them, loving even his enemy in the room, washing Judas' feet. And he, and he says, go and love one another. And he says, I'm going to be leaving you. In a little while, you will no longer see me, but then you will see me again. And the disciples were like, we're not sure what's going on here, Jesus. And Jesus, he explains, you're going to betray me. And Peter, our, our beloved, zealous friend, disciple, the guy that is a take charge kind of guy and who sort of speaks his mind, he says, there's no way in this world that we're going to betray you. I will go with you. I will die with you. And that's when Jesus says, I know you feel that way, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me. You're all going to betray me. But I'm not going to betray you. And that's when Jesus says, don't be afraid. Trust in me just as you've trusted in God. When he says those words, I feel like he's echoing what God has been saying to his people all along throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites offer us an example over and over again about what it's like to wrestle with a relationship with God and what it means to be his children and walk faithfully with him. The Israelites were given an amazing job to be God's special people, his special possession, his priesthood. He is to be the nation that's set apart. And God did wonderful, incredible things for them. One of the stories uh, is found in Numbers, but then it's retold in Deuteronomy. And Moses is sort of outlining, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny because the people really should know. But Deuteronomy is written uh, to the people that are... Uh, going to enter into the promised land. And so the opening chapter is a reminder of how we got ourselves here for the last 40 years while we've been, why we've been wandering in the desert. I would think that it's come up a time or two from the kids. Why are we doing this again? Why haven't we stayed in one place? You know, are we there yet? I'm sure they've been fielding it an awful lot, and they've been retelling this story. Uh, well... We made it too close to the promised land, where we were trying to get, but we thought it would be a good idea to go in and send spies. And we sent in 12 spies, and we thought, hey, this is a great idea. And Moses even went along with it. And they went in, and they came out, and, they, and we saw the land. And we brought back fruit. And it was everything that we thought this place would be. It was a beautiful land filled with fruit, a land filled with milk and honey, and here's evidence that it is good. But and then it was followed with doubt. It was followed with fear, and those spies who went into the land and they discovered all of the good things, they also shared all of the things that stood in their way. He said that the cities are the city walls they reach to the skies. And those who are there, well, the Amalekites are there. And it was fear. Whoa, 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 we can't go against them. We can't, we can't, 
defeat them. And Caleb, he says, guys, we can do it. The Lord is going with us. And the same God who delivered us out of Egypt, the same God who, de- who delivered us and helped us cross the Red Sea, that same very God is going with us. And he promises our, his presence with us. In Exodus thirty-three fourteen, when God said, I will go with you and I will give you rest. The Israelites, well, we know the story. We know that they they don't trust in God and they refuse to go in and they say some awfully foolish things like we would be better off going back to Egypt. And God says, that's it. Well, then when they realize that God wasn't going to go with them, they're like, hey, yeah, we can do it. We will go. And God's like, don't tell them to go now. Tell them to hold off because I'm not going with them. And they go in anyways and it all falls apart. I need you, God. Something I can say very easily, but sometimes I have a hard time living it out. And I imagine that in my walk of knowing my need for God, yet sometimes not always following through, it's fairly common among all of us. Do you need God? Does your life reflect that need? There are times where it's so easy to try and figure out my own problem. Lately, there are so many idiosyncrasies about how my brain works, and there's plenty of problems involved, Uh, but I'm thinking about snow removal. Um, I heard, I heard that the fa- farmer's almanac uh, says that we're going to have some sort of like polar tornado, right? Something like that, something crazy. You know, never mind that the farmer's almanac is just you know a farmer's best guess, but I am nervous about it. And so my wheels are turning about what am I going to do to ensure that I don't have to shovel too much. And so, I kid you not, I've been thinking about how to get a, uh, uh, basically a plow for my SUV, never mind how hillbilly it might be, but it straps onto the hood, and it's like, you can, it's ridiculous. Uh, but it's cost effective, and, and, you know, anyways. But the whole thing, the whole thing is rooted The whole thing is rooted in my unwillingness to ask for help. And I think about just this, in this small, trivial instance of how many millions of things throughout the course of my life, one thing after the next, is this absolute refusal to say that I need anything or anyone to help me. And not just the help of my friends and family and people I know that care about me, but then this outright refusal to say, God, I need you. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid. Suddenly being faced with this challenge that the disciples are no longer going to have Jesus walking with them, 
and in their lives at present in this very moment. Talk about getting the carpet pulled out from underneath you. The one that you left, left everything for is now going to be leaving you. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you a counselor. I'm going to send you someone that will be with you always. And it's going to come from me, and it's going to come from the Father, because I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to be with Him, and He can't come until I go to Him. And we send this Spirit, and this Spirit will be with you. You will have all the help you need in this Spirit, because I will have life, you will have life in me. And this spirit that will raise me from the dead will be the same spirit that is alive in you. This spirit will be yours. The disciples, they say, well, if you would just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. If you would just help, maybe help us see the picture of the Father a little bit better, better, that would, be, that would be a good thing. And Jesus is, says to Philip, who asks the question, he says, Philip, where have you been, man? You've been hanging around me, and if you've spent time with me, then you've seen the Father, and you know exactly how God the Father is functioning in this world. Remember when I healed the man by the pool? Remember when I helped restore the sight to the blind? Remember when I calmed the storms? Remember all of these moments where I revealed the splendor and glory of God the Father. You were seeing the Father in me. And Philip and the disciples are still sort of like, well, we, we want to see the Father. We want to see and understand Him. And Jesus tells us, when this Spirit comes, you will understand and you will know Him in ways you never thought or imagined before. He says, it's good that I go to the Father because the Spirit will come and He will remind you of everything that I've taught you. And then He says something that has baffled me for a very long time. He says, you will do even greater works than when I was with you. Have you ever thought about that? How is it that Jesus leaving is better than him staying? Does that make sense to you? Like, I mean, really, given the circumstances of having God incarnate in the flesh versus the Spirit, you feel like, well, I'd rather, you know, hang out with Jesus. You know, people ask you the question, if you could go back in time to any point in time, you're always like, why well, go hang out with Jesus? You know, that's the God Bible Jesus answer, which is the right answer. Nothing else is acceptable. How is it better that Jesus goes to the Father? How are greater works happening now because Jesus has gone to the Father. 
And here's the fundamental conviction that we hold as Christians is that when Jesus ascends to the, th- uh, to the Father, he ascends to the throne. And we live in a new age in which Christ is Lord and King and Savior and he is the ruler over all and all creation is, in his, is under him. For all things have been created through him and for him and by him. And all things are under his feet. When Jesus goes to the Father, he is crowned as our Lord and our King. And he sends us the helper. He sends us his spirit. And I have wondered why greater things could be possible. And I've often thought, why why don't we see the storms calm? I know there were prayers for uh, for the Bahamas this week, and many millions have been offered up after the hurricane. Why can't we stop storms? Why can't we, God, stop the storms? If we can do the greater works, why aren't we doing these things? This is the wrestling match I have, and then I read this this week. The greatest work, the greatest miracle, the greater things to come because Jesus has ascended to the throne of God is the saving of souls. It is the gift of salvation that is the greater works to come. The greater works to come are the free offering of forgiveness, is the free offering of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of life in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? that the greatest work that can be done in anyone's life is the salvation of their soul. Let's test it. Look at the book of Acts. Now Peter and the apostles, they do some awesome things, right? But is there anything greater than the moment when the Spirit descends on them and they're preaching at Pentecost And there are many thousands of people who come and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the rest of the way through the book of Acts is one person after the next being saved and redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are there great acts? Yes. But the greatest act is one person after the next coming to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. I need you, God. I trust that statement to be true. I trust it to be true and I have a hard time living it out. I don't know why when I've been given every reason to believe that God will go with me and care for me, give me his spirit, give me his help. 
And I know, I know that it can feel the same way for you. That we have to be self-sufficient. And we can't let anybody know that we're having a hard time. And if I could say any word of encouragement to us this morning, it would be that you don't have to go through life alone. Because God has sent His Spirit to be with us. And His Spirit is leading us and caring for us and is our help. The truth is, we're all in need of Him. We're all in need of His help each and every day to guide us and care for us give us the help we need. Do you need God? Do you need Him? Will you respond by walking with Him, trusting in Him, praying to Him? In John 14, we're given a promise. Jesus says, you'll pray and he'll listen. That whatever you ask for in his name, he will give it to you. And I think, man, I think that I, I need to get myself a few nice things. No. I wish it was that way. I would have, like, you know, a Ferrari. maybe what I really need and whatever I really truly need to ask for in the name of Christ is for healing. Healing for the brokenness of all of the sin and all of the hurt in our world and the things that happen in my life. Maybe that's what you need to pray for and ask for in Jesus' name that you would experience the healing and hope and salvation of new life in Christ. That we would ask in Jesus' name that he would help us to see how to serve and love and care for others. That we would ask for, in Jesus' name how we might shine a light in the darkness of our world. I think the simple prayer and it's been the prayer on my mind and heart this entire week. Lord, I need you. And I invite you to make that your prayer. And I invite you to trust and know that God hears your prayers. Because the Spirit is with us. He is our advocate and he cares deeply for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be open to you, open to your Son, Jesus Christ, and open to your Spirit. And God, help us to know that your Spirit among us is doing far greater things to convert souls to you, to win people to you, to open up 
people's eyes to see your love for them. God, that your spirit goes forth to soften hardened hearts, to break, break us of our pride and our egos. Lord, we don't want to simply offer the right phrase because it's the right thing to say. But from a genuine need for you, we want to express as genuinely as possible. We need you. We need your spirit in our life to guide us, to help us, to comfort us, to give us the courage to go forward. To give us the courage to go forward in a better way than the Israelites ever thought or imagined. To go forward, Lord, with your kingdom on our hearts and our minds. To go forward with the Lordship of Christ as King of Kings. Savior of the world. God, we need your spirit to give us courage. We need your spirit to give us comfort. We need your spirit to guide us as your children. To face suffering, to face sadness, to face the brokenness of this world. We need your spirit to fill us with hope. We need your spirit be your people, your loving witnesses in this world. And so God, please help us. Lord, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Spirit is sent to us to take us to Jesus. And when we think on this, we run into the classic Christian belief in the Trinity. And this is how really smart people explain it. The absolute oneness of God the Father unleashes the Son. And the Father and Son unleash the Spirit. And then the Spirit is unleashed into all Christians for the purpose of glorifying Jesus the glory of the Father. Where the Spirit is, Jesus is being exalted. And where Jesus is not being exalted, there the Spirit is absent. And any claim about the Spirit can be tested by how Jesus-centered it is. To be open to the Spirit is to be open to the Spirit's introducing us to Jesus and the Spirit keeping us in the presence of Jesus. Where the Spirit is, Jesus is exalted. I know the Spirit is among the believers of the Etna Green Church of Christ because Jesus is exalted here and He is exalted in our lives. Are you open to the Spirit? Is Jesus being exalted in your life? Let's stand and sing and exalt the name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King.